Chapter Seven, Part One of Hilda Wade. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Hilda Wade, A Woman with Tenacity of Purpose by Grant Allen. Chapter Seven, Part One. The Episode of the Stone that Looked About It. Hilda took me back with her to the embryo farm where she had pitched her tent for the moment, a rough, wild place. It lay close to the main road from Salisbury to Chimoyo. Setting aside the inevitable rawness and newness of all things Rhodesian, however, the situation itself was not wholly unpicturesque. A ramping rock or tor of granite, which I should judge at a rough guess to extend to an acre in size, sprang abruptly from the brown grass of the upland plain. It rose like a huge boulder. Its summit was crowned by the covered grave of some old Kaffir chief, a rude cairn of big stones under a thatched awning. At the foot of this jagged and cleft rock the farmhouse nestled. Four square walls of wattle and daub sheltered by its mass from the sweeping winds of the South African plateau. A stream brought water from a spring close by. In front of the house, rare sight in that thirsty land, spread a garden of flowers. It was an oasis in the desert, but the desert itself stretched grimly all round. I could never quite decide how far the oasis was caused by the water from the spring, and how far by Hilda's presence. "'Then you live here?' I cried, gazing round my voice, I suppose, betraying my latent sense of the unworthiness of the position. "'For the present,' Hilda answered, smiling, "'you know, Hubert, I have no abiding city anywhere till my purpose is fulfilled. I came here because Rhodesia seemed the farthest spot on earth where a white woman just now could safely penetrate, in order to get away from you and Sebastian.' "'That is an unkind conjunction.' I exclaimed, reddening. "'But I mean it,' she answered with a wayward little nod. "'I wanted breathing space to form fresh plans. I wanted to get clear away for a time from all who knew me, and this promised best, but nowadays really one is never safe from intrusion anywhere.' "'You are cruel, Hilda.' "'Oh, no, you deserve it. I asked you not to come, and you came in spite of me. I have treated you very nicely under the circumstances, I think. I have behaved like an angel. The question is now, what ought I to do next? You have upset my plans so. Upset your plans? How? Dear Hubert, she turned to me with an indulgent smile. For a clever man you are really too foolish. Can't you see that you have betrayed my whereabouts to Sebastian? I crept away secretly, like a thief in the night, giving no name or place, and having the world to ransack, he might have found it hard to track me, for he had not your clue of the Basingstoke letter, nor your reason for seeking me. But now that you have followed me openly, with your name blazoned forth in the company's passenger lists, and your traces left plain in hotels and stages across the map of South Africa. Why, the spoor is easy. If Sebastian cares to find us, 
he can follow the scent all through without trouble i never thought of that i cried aghast she was forbearance itself no i knew you would never think of it you are a man you see i counted that in i was afraid from the first you would wreck all by following me i was mutely penitent and uh, yet you forgive me hilda her eyes beamed tenderness to know all is to forgive all she answered i have to remind you of that so often how can i help forgiving when i know why you came what spur it was that drove you but it is the future we have to think of now not the past and i must wait and reflect i have no plan just at present what are you doing at this farm i gazed round at it dissatisfied i board here hilda answered amused at my crestfallen face but of course i cannot be idle so i have found work to do i ride out on my bicycle to two or three isolated houses about and give lessons to children in this desolate place who would otherwise grow up ignorant it fills my time and supplies me with something besides myself to think about and what am i to do i cried oppressed with a sudden sense of helplessness she laughed at me outright and is this the first moment that that difficulty has occurred to you she asked gaily you have hurried all the way from london to rhodesia without the slightest idea of what you mean to do now you have got here i laughed at myself in turn upon my word hilda i cried i set out to find you beyond the desire to find you i had no plan in my head that was an end in itself my thoughts went no farther she gazed at me half saucily then don't you think sir the best thing you can do now you have found me is to turn back and go home again i am a man i said promptly taking a firm stand and you are a judge of character if you really mean to tell me you think that likely well i shall have a lower opinion of your insight into men than i have been accustomed to harbour her smile was not wholly without a touch of triumph in that case she went on i suppose the only alternative is for you to remain here that would appear to be logic i replied but what can i do set up in practice i don't see much opening she answered if you ask my advice i should say there is only one thing to be done in rhodesia just now turn farmer it is done i answered with my usual impetuosity since you say the word i am a farmer already i feel an interest in oats that is simply absorbing what steps ought i to take first in my present condition she looked at me all brown with the dust of my long ride i would suggest she said slowly a good wash and some dinner hilda i cried surveying my boots or what was visible of them that is really clever of you a wash and some dinner so practical so timely the very thing i will see to it before night fell i had arranged everything i was to buy the next farm from the owner of the one where hilda lodged i was also to learn the rudiments of south african agriculture from him for a valuable consideration and i was to lodge in his house while my own was building 
he gave me his views on the cultivation of oats he gave them at some length more length than perspicuity i knew nothing about oats save that they were employed in the manufacture of porridge which i detest but i was to be near hilda once more and i was prepared to undertake the superintendence of the oat from its birth to its reaping if only i might be allowed to live so close to hilda the farmer and his wife were boers but they spoke english mr jan willem klaas himself was a fine specimen of the breed tall erect broad-shouldered and genial mrs klaas his wife was mainly suggestive in mind and person of sweat pudding there was one prattling little girl of three years old by name sanny a most engaging child and also a chubby baby you are betrothed of course mrs klaas said to hilda before me with a curious tactlessness of her race when we made our first arrangement hilda's face flushed no we are nothing to one another she answered which was only true formally dr cumberledge had a post at the same hospital in london where i was a nurse and he thought he would like to try rhodesia that is all mr klaas gazed from one to other of us suspiciously you english are strange she answered with a complacent little shrug but there from europe your ways we know are different hilda did not attempt to explain it would have been impossible to make the good soul understand her horizon was so simple she was a harmless housewife given mostly to dyspepsia and the care of her little one hilda had won her heart by unfeigned admiration for the chubby baby to a mother that covers a multitude of eccentricities such as one expects to find in an incomprehensible english mrs klaas put up with me because she liked hilda we spent some months together on klaas's farm it was a dreary place save for hilda the bare daub and wattle walls the clumps of mishappen and dusty prickly pears that girt round the thatched huts of the kaffir workpeople the stone-pen sheep kraals and the corrugated iron roof of the bald stable for the wagon oxen all was crude and ugly as a new country can make things it seemed to me a desecration that hilda should live in such an unfinished land hilda whom i imagined as moving by nature through broad english parks with elizabethan cottages and immemorial oaks hilda whose proper atmosphere seemed to be one of coffee-coloured laces ivy-clad abbeys lichen-encrusted walls all that is beautiful and gracious in time-honoured civilizations nevertheless we lived on there in a meaningless sort of way i hardly knew why to me it was a puzzle when i asked hilda she shook her head with her sibylline air and answered confidentially you do not understand sebastian as well as i do we have to wait for him the next move is his till he plays his piece i cannot tell how i may have to checkmate him so we waited for sebastian to advance upon meanwhile i toyed with south african farming not very successfully i must admit nature did not design me for growing oats i am no judge of oxen and my views on the feeding of kaffir sheep raised broad smiles on the black faces of my mashona labourers i still lodged at tant metis as everybody called mrs klaas 
she was courtesy aunt to the community at large while oom jan willem was its courtesy uncle they were simple homely folk who lived up to their religious principles on an unvaried diet of stewed ox beef and bread they suffered much from chronic dyspepsia due in part at least no doubt to the monotony of their food their life their interests one could hardly believe one was still in the nineteenth century these people had the calm the local seclusion of the prehistoric epoch for them europe did not exist they knew it merely as a place where settlers came from what the tsar intended what the kaiser designed never disturbed their rest a sick ox a rattling tile on the roof meant more to their lives than war in europe the one break in the sameness of their daily routine was family prayers the one weekly event going to church at salisbury still they had a single enthusiasm like everybody else for fifty miles around they believed profoundly in the future of rhodesia when i gazed about me at the raw new land the weary flat of red soil and brown grasses i felt at least that with a present like that it had need of a future i am not by disposition a pioneer i belong instinctively to the old civilizations in the midst of rudimentary towns and incipient fields i yearn for grey houses a norman church an english thatched cottage however for hilda's sake i braved it out and continued to learn the a b c of agriculture on an unmade farm with great assiduity from oom jan willem we had been stopping some months at class together when business compelled me one day to ride into salisbury i had ordered some goods for my farm from england which had at last arrived i had now to arrange for their conveyance from the town to my plot of land a portentous matter just as i was on the point of leaving classes and was tightening the saddle girth on my sturdy little pony oom jan willem himself sidled up to me with a mysterious air his broad face all wrinkled with anticipatory pleasure he placed a sixpence in my palm glancing about him on every side as he did so like a conspirator what am i to buy with it i asked much puzzled and suspecting tobacco tant metty declared he smoked too much for a church elder he put his finger to his lips nodded and peered round lollipops for sunny he whispered low at last with a guilty smile but he glanced about him again give them to me please when tant metty isn't looking his nod was all mystery you may rely on my discretion i replied throwing the time-honored prejudice of the profession to the winds and well pleased to aid and abet the simple-minded soul in his nefarious designs against little sanny's digestive apparatus he patted me on the back peppermint lollipop's mind he went on in the same solemn undertone sunny likes them best peppermint i put my foot in the stirrup and vaulted into my saddle they shall not be forgotten i answered with a quiet smile at this pretty little evidence of fatherly feeling i rode off it was early morning before the heat of the day began hilda accompanied me part of the way on her bicycle she was going to the other young farm some eight miles off across the red-brown plateau 
where she gave lessons daily to the ten-year-old daughter of an english settler it was a labor of love for settlers in rhodesia cannot afford to pay for what are beautifully described as finishing governesses but hilda was of the sort who cannot eat the bread of idleness she had to justify herself to her kind by finding some work to do which should vindicate her existence i parted from her at a point on the monotonous plain where one rubbly road branched off from another then i jogged on in the full morning sun over that scorching plain of loose red sand all the way to salisbury not a green leaf or a fresh flower anywhere the eye ached at the hot glare of the reflected sunlight from the sandy level my business detained me several hours in the half-built town with its flaunting stores and its rough new offices it was not till towards afternoon that i could get away again on my sorrel across the blazing plain once more to classes i moved on over the plateau at an easy trot full of thoughts of hilda what could be the step she expected sebastian to take next she did not know herself she had told me there her faculty failed her but some step he would take until he took it she must rest and be watchful i passed the great tree that stands up like an obelisk in the midst of the plain beyond the deserted matabele village i passed the low clumps of the dry karoo bushes by the rocky kopje i passed the fork of the rubbly roads where i had parted from hilda at last i reached the long rolling ridge which looks down upon classes and could see in the slant sunlight the mud farmhouse and the corrugated iron roof where the oxen were stabled the place looked more deserted more dead alive than ever not a black boy moved in it even the cattle and kaffir sheep were nowhere to be seen but then it was always quiet and perhaps i noticed the obtrusive air of solitude and sleepiness even more than usual because i had just returned from salisbury all things are comparative after the lost loneliness of classes farm even brand new salisbury seemed busy and bustling i hurried on ill at ease but aunt mette would doubtless have a cup of tea ready for me as soon as i arrived and hilda would be waiting at the gate to welcome me i reached the stone enclosure and passed up through the flower garden to my great surprise hilda was not there as a rule she came to meet me with her sunny smile but perhaps she was tired or the sun on the road might have given her a headache i dismounted from my mare and called one of the kaffir boys to take her to the stable nobody answered i called again still silence i tied her up to the post and strode over to the door astonished at the solitude i began to feel there was something weird and uncanny about this homecoming never before had i known classes so entirely deserted i lifted the latch and opened the door it gave access at once to the single plain living-room there all was huddled for a moment my eyes hardly took in the truth there are sights so sickening that the brain at the first shock fully fails to realize them on the stone slab floor of the low living-room tant Mette lay dead her body was pierced through by innumerable thrusts which i somehow instinctively recognized as assegai wounds by her side lay sanny the little prattling girl of three 
my constant playmate, whom I had instructed in Cat's Cradle and taught the tales of Cinderella and Red Riding Hood. My hand grasped the lollipops in my pocket convulsively. She would never need them. Nobody else was about. What had become of Um Jan Willem and the baby? I wandered out into the yard, sick with the sight I had already seen. There Um Jan Willem himself lay stretched at full length. A bullet had pierced his left temple. His body was also riddled through with assegai thrusts. I saw at once what this meant a rising of the matabele i had come back from salisbury unknowing it into the midst of a revolt of bloodthirsty savages yet even if i had known i must still have hurried home with all speed to classes to protect hilda hilda where was hilda a breathless sinking crept over me i staggered out into the open it was impossible to say what horror might not have happened the matabele might even now be lurking about the kraal for the bodies were hardly cold but hilda hilda whatever came i must find hilda fortunately i had my loaded revolver in my belt though we had not in the least anticipated this sudden revolt it broke like a thunderclap from a clear sky the unsettled state of the country made even women go armed about their daily avocations I strode on half-maddened. Beside the great block of granite which sheltered the farm there rose one of those rocky little hillocks of loose boulders which are locally known in South Africa by the Dutch name of Kopjes. I looked about upon it drearily. Its round brown ironstones lay piled irregularly together, almost as if placed there in some earlier age by the mighty hands of prehistoric giants my gaze on it was blank i was thinking not of it but of hilda hilda i called the name aloud hilda 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 as i called to my immense surprise one of the smooth round boulders on the hillside seemed slowly to uncurl and to peer about it cautiously then it raised itself in the slant sunlight put a hand to its eyes and gazed out upon me with a human face for a moment after that it descended step by step among the other stones with a white object in its arms as the boulder uncurled and came to life i was aware by degrees yes yes it was hilda with tant metis baby in the fierce joy of that discovery i rushed forward to her trembling and clasped her in my arms i could find no words but hilda hilda are they gone she asked staring about her with a terrified air though still strangely preserving her wonted composure of manner who gone the matabele yes yes did you see them hilda for a moment with black shields and assegais all shouting madly you have been to the house hubert you know what has happened yes yes i know arising they have massacred the classes she nodded i came back on my bicycle and when i opened the door found tant metti and little sanny dead poor sweet little sanny Om jan was lying shot in the yard outside i saw the cradle overturned and looked under it for the baby they did not kill her perhaps did not notice her 
i caught her up in my arms and rushed out to my machine thinking to make for salisbury and give the alarm to the men there one must try to save others and you were coming hubert then i heard horses hoofs the matabeler returning they dashed back mounted stolen horses from other farms they have taken poor ohm jans and they have gone on shouting to murder elsewhere i flung down my machine among the bushes as they came i hope they have not seen it and i crouched here between the boulders with a baby in my arms trusting for protection to the color of my dress which is just like the ironstone it is a perfect deception i answered admiring her instinctive cleverness even then i never so much as noticed you no nor the matabele either for all their sharp eyes they passed by without stopping i clasped the baby hard and tried to keep it from crying if it had cried all would have been lost but they passed just below and swept on toward rosenbooms i lay still for a while not daring to look out then i raised myself wearily and tried to listen just at that moment i heard a horse's hoofs ring out once more i couldn't tell of course whether it was you returning or one of the matabele left behind by the others so i crouched again thank god you are safe hubert all this took a moment to say or was less said than hinted now what must we do i cried bolt back again to salisbury it is the only thing possible if my machine is unhurt they may have taken it or ridden over and broken it End of chapter 7, part 1, read by Lars Rolander.